0: So this is our last week talking through Psalm 23. So we're ending up January, and uh, so it will be good. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 23. If not, it's in your bulletin, in your worship guide. Or if you still don't have access to that, I'll put it on the screen. So you're 0 for 3. You can't dodge it. I spent one full year with these guys right here. And this was the very last uh, evening of our time together. And so these men, uh, we went through, we were in the same stage of ministry. Uh, we were either a couple of years from planting a church or about to plant a church. And so we just did ministry and, and we talked life and we played together and we, we prayed together. And all throughout this year, there were these little deposits into our life that this is what it's like to be a pastor, a local pastor, especially a church planting pastor. And so whether we played or whether we prayed or we just talked— we just spent, I mean, just an enormous amount of time together. Um, these guys were gathered because of one guy's vision to really invest in local pastors. He was the son of a great uh, world-class theologian and author. His name is Wayne Grudem, and the son is Elliot. Now, Elliot has this passion to truly like invest in the next generation of pastors, and as a son of a theologian, uh, especially a, you know, a, a world-class writer and scholar and, and, and teacher, I mean, this class or this time with him, it had that flair. I mean, the discussions were deep, and it was full of, of, of just of depth and worth. And yet the one thing that that was not, I don't know what this is. This is just, I guess we just allow it. Um, the one thing that uh, we weren't expecting is that it was both brainy, right? But it was also very warm and because Elliot was very hospitable. This is a guy who went out of his way just to make every environment very special. So whether it was the welcome packet or, or exercises that we were going through, we just knew that we were going to get Elliot's best, um, Elliot was is, is um, a foodie. That means that wherever we went out to eat, he would, we would make him order for us. So here we are in the last night of our year together, and we just knew that this guy had something up his sleeve, and boy did he. We were, we spent the evening at what's called the Angus Barn. The Angus Barn is just a classic Southern steakery. You know, it just, I mean, just, it was, it had just the deep, dark, like rich undertones. There were, instead of these, like a massive, like eating room, there were these smaller little places in which you could go get your food. I mean, it's just, it was wonderful. And we sat down and Elliot said, tonight, boys, we're eating the tomahawk. So the tomahawk steak, if you don't know, is a piece, a slab of beef as big or bigger than your plate, and the plates are big. Tonight we're eating the tomahawk. So there we sat. And we all had these huge steaks, and we ate, and we drank, and we laughed, and I mean, we just we just rehearsed, and we just went over the whole last year, and we just just it was glorious. At one time, we were in the middle of sharing stories about ministry and those kinds of things, and I start telling the stories about how I faint. I just faint when exposed to uh, immediate pain. And so I get telling these stories, and the laughter just continues to grow. And at some point, we had the attention of everybody in the restaurant because we were just having the best time. It was like six friends who had spent an entire year together. And there was Elliot at the head of the table, looking back affectionately at his young pastor's. He knew that he was the host of this evening. He knew that because of his forethought and his creativity and his care for us, he created an environment, a place for us to truly enjoy the evening and have a memory that we would talk about forever. And we were leaving the restaurant, and it was an amazing night. He gathered us in the foyer and he says, hey, just wait here for a second, if you don't mind. And he waved to a manager and he came and, and, and they exchanged a few words. And Elliot used a phrase or said something. that was like he unlocked the code because the manager says, uh, I don't know, you'll have to wait and see. And so Elliot comes back to us and we're like, wait and see what? we just i mean we've been seeing so much and enjoying so much what else do you have up your sleeve the manager about 4 or 5 minutes later he comes back to us and he's like right this way and right what way we thought we had seen it all And so he walks through this door, and we're just kind of like little ducklings. We just follow this guy wherever he's going, and he leads us right in the middle of the kitchen. So we're there in, I mean, just in the kitchen of the Angus barn, and there was these these huge kind of just just pods of of excellence, and there's food, and there's meat, and there's smells, and there's chefs, and it's just, it's amazing. There are actually little tables for two where you could go and reserve a table and just have the, the the chef's undivided attention. It was amazing, and he just kept going. We walked into the cellar that was floor-to-ceiling walls of wine. I mean, more wine than I'd ever seen or other substances that I've ever seen in my life. It was like a movie. Then we went into a smaller room, and we just kept walking, and it's floor-to-ceiling cigars. I'm like, where are we, and where are we going? It just gets smaller and smaller. We go through this little bitty corridor, and he opens the door, and we walk in to this portico. This portico you just see just opens up and there's fire pits and oversized furniture and a view of Raleigh. We were like, where are we? What is this place? It's like a secret like garden because it was. And so we just, I mean, it was unbelievable. Here we were, three, six guys, just underneath Elliot's hosting abilities. And through his creativity, through his foresight, and through his generosity, we were able to truly see and feel like he was our host. Today, we're we're not talking about Elliot Grudem. We're actually talking about the Lord as our host. He's the one who's prepared a table for us. He's the one who has all of like, he can unlock all the secret gardens. He has the bounty of not just the tomahawk and Florida ceiling wine. He has everything at his disposal. We're going to see a couple of things today. We're going to see a host who provides a table for us to sit at. We're going to see a host who provides a cup that overflows. And finally, a host that provides a home for us to dwell. Like we've done the last two uh, weeks, we just want to just read this psalm. It's a short one, only six verses. And we just want to read it together. And we just want to just slowly just work through this, this passage together. So as I read, you read with me. Let's read it. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so, this is the very end of Psalm 23, where we're going to be talking about the Lord and He's a host. So here, he, here we have, we have Him. Having setting a table for us to sit at. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my in- enemies. So very simply, right? he prepares a table. There's a table. That means that there's going to be food to eat. And it's not just some table. It's a ta- table full of bounty. We will see later that the cup is overflowing, and so we should not think that the table is just some meager scraps. This is a table that we would see in a feast. That means that there's There's bounty, there's benevolence, it's liberal, it's just lots and lots and lots of food. This is the table that we sit at. Not only are we sitting at a table, but we're also understanding that it is prepared for me. That means that there's forethought, there's foresight, that it's the Lord Himself who is able to do this for me. In Psalm 23, it's broken into two pieces. For the last two weeks, we've seen that the Lord is my shepherd. And he's the one who's guiding me and directing me and doing these things. Now for these last two verses, we're going to see that he's the host because he is the one that's in front of us and preparing these things ahead of it, making sure that we have a place to go. And you're going to say, before me, you prepare a table before me, meaning that it's personal. It's for me. It's like, it's just, it's right here that I need to be a part of it very simply, what does it mean for God to throw a party just for you? Have you ever thought about the Lord in that way? That all of this festival and all of this food and all of this drink and all of this environment that he has prepared for you? Have you ever had a category for God in that kind of way? We see in this second half of the, the psalm is not just a shepherd who takes us, but the one that really does care for us, even affectionate for you and for me. There's an invitation that goes out, and your name is on the invitation for you to show up at this table. He tells us that we are, we are able to sit among his provisions, the things that he is able to do for us. But then also, it then says that we are able to sit within his protection. So not only are all of these things going on that he's provided, but it says that we are in the presence of our enemies. So this table is in a unique place. It's It's structured in a unique place because it tells us that we are among our enemies. So the Lord is all about providing for us, but He knows that we live in a dark and a crooked and an evil world in which we are going to be surrounded by enemies and dark forces and all types of things, and He doesn't want us to be afraid. He wants us not to put our eyes on those things, but our eyes on what He has provided for us. So in the same way that He walks through the shadow of the valley valley of death, He also wants you to know that He is going to protect us. The table is in the middle or in the midst of his enemies. This is a striking phrase that the Lord is doing this because he's trying to tell you and tell me that he is providing for us. But in his provision, that doesn't mean that we escape all of the uncomfortable things, even evil things in this world. God is not about escapism. The Lord is with us in the dark places. He's with us. He sets a table, but he puts us in the middle of our enemies. And so, yes, there are certain times and places where he will airlift us out of bad situations. But what is more correct than having us or protecting us from all of the things, but for him to actually provide the protection or provide the nourishment that it will take to get through the darkest valleys of our lives. So what is your enemy? Because it's yours. Who is your enemy? Because he or she is yours. What is the inferiority that you feel inside your heart? What are the things that that fills you with shame? What are the things that come closely to you that you would consider? That is the enemy among enemies that is discouraging me. It's there in that place that God's provision will show up for us. This is Provision And this protection is for you and I to gain confidence in God and God alone. He is both shepherd and host. All of our songs this morning pointed to him, not about our affection, but his affection for us. And there's a world of difference. Scholarly, scholarly debate wonders what kind of psalm this is. Some people think that it's a festival psalm in which we were able to sing or say or proclaim in one of the Jewish festivals. Some people say that it's a Thanksgiving psalm in which we are able just to do exactly what it tells us as we are supposed to give thanks. But most uh, scholars would actually put it in a different category and it would call it a communal psalm. Because what happens in a communal psalm is that you say something, and then I say something, and then you say something that I need, and the thing that I need to give you and you need to give me over and over and over is confidence in God and God alone. Not confidence in your own flesh, not confidence in your own abilities, but confidence that God is the one is both providing and protecting you in this very moment, even in the darkest worst season of your life he's not trying to yank you out of it he's trying to walk through it and prepare a table that will be nourishing and good and extravagant and exactly what you need in those places this is a scene of bounty and beauty but it's also a picture of war that we are in the presence of my enemies I recently read through American Sniper by a guy named Chris Kyle. And this is a book that just talks about war. It's just a bloody book from start to finish. It depicts war in a way that I've never seen or rarely seen. And so what Chris Kyle does is he talks about his comrades, and he talks about his, the ammunition that they use. They talk about tactics. He talks about war. But one thing that is not in the book, food. You know why? Because soldiers at at war, you know, war is a lot of things, right? But war is no picnic, literally. And so soldiers, they think about war and they talk about war and they write about war. They really don't talk about the food. Well, here we have God writing our story and saying, yes, there is a battle, but there's a table that's inside that battlefield for us, for you and for me. Then there's a cup that overflows. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. A cup that overflows. This is the idea, right? That there's internal refreshment. This idea that you are tired and you are weary and you are sad and you are beat up and you are, and just fill in the blank and yet there's refreshment that comes. Like a cool shower, right? Or jumping in a cool lake. It's the same analogy of this idea of being anointed with oil, except for in a very spiritual sense. Oil, especially the anointing of it, means that God's presence is there. In the presence of my enemy, there's internal refreshment. That's why the anointing of the oil comes over my head. From top to bottom, I have the presence of God fully and completely. I know internally, this is what you have given for me. And in the same way that you have your head anointed with oil, you have this cup that overflows, literally is sloshing about. The idea of this cup is it's a festival cup, right? This is a cup that is filled with wine. Scholarly Scholars say, no bones about it, that there is, there is wine, red wine in this cup right? And they say that this is the very best, the most intoxicating, the stuff that brings your heart merry and your eyes bright. This is the stuff that's sloshing about. It's overflowing in your life. And this is not just the presence of God, but just the idea that the presence of God can create something so joyful and so glad and so wonderful that it's both for you and sloshing about and overflowing in other people's lives as well. This is the internal refreshment that is happening all around us. We can't dodge the fact that God is a generous God who's giving these types of things to his people. Again, I'll ask the same question. We have a lot of categories for God. Judge and Savior and all of these categories, but a host of the greatest party, not of the secular, diabolical, right, crazy town party, but a holy, beautiful moment where our hearts are glad in him and each other. This is what the Lord is able to give us. He's able to give us internal refreshment. And then also, it has an outward benefit. It's able to like overflow into other things. Surely, goodness and mercy shall over, will follow you all the days of my life. My cup overflows, and in both of these phrases, it's that as if the substance, all of the goodness, is now being outside the cup or the bowl that's being passed, because it's having an effect on others. We have a table um, on our logo for some of these reasons. Because we believe that God's people, God's people should be an invitational people. We should invite people who are far from Jesus and invite people who are far from community to have a place at the table to feel welcome to, for the people of God. And so in the same way, whether it's internal or outward, it should we should be of benefit to others. In the same way that we should gather together as believers, as brothers and sisters around a table of fellowship, we should do that over and over and over, and we should approach the Lord's table, the one that distinguishes us, that it's not us, it's Him and what He has provided for us. It should have an outward benefit. This phrase, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. If you've ever gone into, um, and we've cleaned things up in the last 20 years, right? But if you've ever gone into, like, if you're on the interstate and you pull off of, like, not one of those exits that are, like, really like, bright, and lots of, but kind of a darker exit, right? But your kid really has to go to the bathroom or something like that. And you're like, it's an emergency. We're just going to have to, whatever, whatever's next, right? And you go into the gas station that still allows people to smoke cigarettes and cigars, right? And they're also, they have like the hot dog on the wheel and the cheese that's burnt. And I mean, it's like, and there's this smell, right? And you go into it and you're like, uh, but when you come back, you kind of fill up the room. It's kind of like this: all grace and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Or like, um, really bad cologne—like you just kind of leave a trail, right? Well, so this is what surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Except for it's the opposite. These are the glorious things. These are goodness and mercy. Those are the things that are just going to just permeate all things. There are two words that are outward in benefit: goodness and mercy. Goodness. This is what God is. He is good. He makes things good and therefore he allows you to be good. Are you bringing good things to your environments? The thing that's spilling out of your cup, that's going outward, that's following you, is it good? At the end of every day of creation, God looks to it and says, that's good. That's what's happening here. That's what's following us all the days of our lives. God's goodness into our cup that will overflow into others. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days. Mercy is this word in in, um, the Old Testament called hesed, H-E-S-E-D. Probably one of the top ten words that you need to understand if you're to understand the Old Testament. This idea of hesed is this idea of covenantal love. Hesed is also this uh, this word for loyalty or relationship. And what we see all throughout the Old Testament is God's people running away from God, not being loyal, but God pursuing a relationship or pursuing loyal. We are the faithless and he is the faith Surely, goodness and this, this steadfast love, this loyalty, this covenantal love, this is what will follow you all the days of your life. And the steadfast love that God has given to us is the fact that you and I, despite our frailties, despite our sinfulness, we are God's delight say that in your heart. I am God's delight because what he says over me, despite my sin and my sin struggles and me frustrating everyone around me, what he says is I am the loyal one and the goodness and the mercy or the steadfast love, those belong to me and I'm going to come to to create change in your life. This is what we are experiencing in this psalm, is that it will overflow in our lives. There's two types of dads in this world. If you get in trouble and you're, say, you're 16 or 17, you're in college, and you just find your play yourself in a place you shouldn't belong in, in a situation that is over your head, They say that there's two types of dad that, one, if you find yourself in that situation, in your heart of hearts, you'll say, there's no way I am calling dad. He is going to have, I mean, I am going to, if this won't kill me, he will type thing. There's also a type of dad that says, there's no one else I'd rather call. Than dad. Now, none of us can, us dads in the room, can come up to this standard. But this is our Heavenly Father and His pursuit of us. He knows there will be dark valleys. And He He knows that there will be enemies. And He knows. That there's got to be a place for mercy to fall. And the only place that mercy is able to have its effects on you and I is when we have screwed up and we have failed it and we have walked away. The only way that he can be the loyal one and the faithful one for us to not be loyal, for us to be faithless, he's got to fill in that gap and he does it over and over and over. And that's why we sing songs like this. Not because to give us the credit, but to give him the credit. He's both shepherd and host and will welcome us to a table that we do not deserve. His loyalty to us is undeniable. And that's why he gives us a home to dwell, a place of safety to dwell. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He will create a home for us. If you're reading through the community Bible reading plan. We read through Second Samuel chapter 9 this week. And this is a story of David and Mephibosheth. Go ahead, drop that at a, at a party. You will be best friends with no one. So Mephibosheth was a man um, who was in hiding. And Mephibosheth was in hiding because he was the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. Well, one day when Saul and Jonathan were on the battlefield, both Saul and Jonathan both died on the same day. Well, in the hurriedness or in the news of both granddad and dad uh, dying on the battlefield for the, on the same day, the nurse, the person who was taking care of Mephibosheth, picked him up and was running with him. And we don't know if he fell in a canyon or what, but whatever the tragedy is that he was crippled from the hips down from that day forward. So the day of Israel's defeat and the day of losing both your granddad and your dad was also the day that you became lame and you would not be able to walk the rest of your days. 2 Samuel 9 tells us that David is now the king, and David is the king instead of Saul. Now Saul, if he was to die, he was going to pass his reign over to Jonathan. That's just the way kings work, right? And if Jonathan was going to die. He was going to pass his kingdom to who? Mephibosheth. But now that David is the king, that means that this line has no worth or value. In the old days, kings would actually extinguish all the other former lines for purity's sake. In 2 Samuel 9, this chapter starts with David saying, I need to visit the household of Saul. And in everybody's mind, if you were going to visit the household of your former you know, rival, it was to, that you were going to eliminate his household forever. Mephibosheth hears that David is on his way and is in hiding in a back room. David comes, knocks on the door. I'm paraphrasing here. He opens and he says, I'm here for Mephibosheth. Trembling in fear, Mephibosheth falls on his face before David and says, is there anything I can do for my king? In David's heart that day was not to extinguish a rival, but instead to show kindness, to show mercy to the, to the line of Saul. And so what David does, he says, no, Mephibosheth, I'm not here to kill you. I'm actually here to welcome you. He says, from this day forward, you are going to sit at the king's table and you are going to dine with me for the rest of your days. This is a gospel moment in the Old Testament. we a man out of line of the king who is literally in a distant town that we don't even know where is, in a back room, falling on his face in humility, living a life of humility, having no family. On and on it goes and the king shows up and he says, today you're going to you're going to eat with me, not just today, but for the rest of your life. So today, we're going to do some prayer cards. On your your seat, you're going to see a blue card. You're going to find a pen somewhere close. And we would like for you, every one of us, because we all have some way to talk back to the Lord. And I know that if if you're new here, this may be a little uncomfortable to you. However, we would like for you all to kind of walk through these, this kind of exercise together. How are you experiencing enormous shame instead of delight? We hear over and over and over that God is delighted in you. He has welcomed you. He has prepared a table for you. And yet there is a way in which you may be experiencing enormous shame. And doubt of his goodness and his grace to you. And the second is, are you positive that you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? And if so, why or why not? God is very clear that he is welcoming all of us. He wants us all to dwell with him. And he knows that it's only through the, the death of His Son, Jesus, that we are welcome into His forever home, Heaven. And so we want you to pull out those those prayer cards and spend a few minutes answering these questions. Now, just so that there's no like uh, like hook-and-bait and type situation, when we take communion, we want and we expect and we're really encouraging for each of you to turn in that prayer card. Because what you'll do is you'll answer that and it'll be an internal, authentic, answer to that prayer. But when you turn that in, just know that tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, our prayer team is going to come together, and we're going to be praying over every one of these prayer cards. And for the next month, one person in the prayer uh, prayer team will be praying for you by name for these things that are going on in your heart. So let's just create some space for the Lord to do His heavy lifting, do the work uh, of the ministry, and you just uh, reflect on these on these questions.